listening game. to the B Fox and B Frank show. The college football playoff is set um, with not without controversy, I guess I should say. Um, we will get into that in just a moment, but first, talk a little bit about how we got here. Conference championships happening over the weekend, starting off on Friday night. No playoff implications in this one, but New Year's Six. Um, birth basically on the line, USC-Stanford, rematch from a blowout earlier in the year, and uh, USC showed up again, um, beating Stanford by three this time, but, you know, the offense with Dar- Darnold and Ronald Jones, kind of what we've expected them to do all season. Yeah, they set the tone on the ground, which was the big thing, running the ball 30 times with Ronald Jones, taking the pressure off Darnold, which I think I've been saying all season. Darnold is a great passer, and he's going to be a good NFL quarterback. But at this point in time, you need someone to set the tone, especially in the ground game, so it opens up things in the air. If USC is too one-dimensional in the air, they're very easy, and Darnold has a very interceptable ball, I guess you could say, for, for lack of a better term, because he just seems to be able to make mistakes fairly easily. But they figured out the ground game. The defense played pretty well, and it definitely helped that Bryce Love was hurt, although his stat line would not tell you that. Yeah. Um, and for Stanford, really controlling the pace of the game is what they were trying to do. Um, Bryce Love basically was uh, <clears throat> injured every series. He kept having to, to limp off the field every couple of carries, still managed to be very productive, 125 yards on 22 carries. Um, but obviously without him at 100%, there's really nothing that, that Stanford is going to be able to do offensively. And uh, KJ Costello made some throws, but for the most part it was a struggle. Um, I think compared to the first time these teams met, Stanford's passing attack is in much better shape, but it's still not enough to be at the level where, you know, they want to be as an elite team. Yeah, and there's only so much that defense can do. They're not an elite group. They're a decent group. Um, the lack of passing game, obviously going 10 of 22 through the air isn't going to help you. You get three, four more completions. That's a whole different ball game. You're talking at least two first downs right there. So at the end of the day, Costello can be a little more consistent. Stanford probably wins this one, but – Again, then again, like a healthy Bryce Love runs all over this USC defense. So there are a lot of different things that uh, came into play, but obviously USC's defense and then on the flip side, the offense was able to uh, control the ball, not turn it over, and, and really do what they needed to do. USC did give the uh, conference championship the most projected them to before the start of the season. Obviously a lot more circular of a path to get there than most expected, but they do end up with that championship and a berth in the Cotton Bowl. Um, we've got to move to Saturday's games. We have to start with the, the game of the day. Just going to go chronologically on this. UCF Memphis, American Athletic, over-under, oh, set at 82. Still smashed it. Uh, almost 1,500 total yards combined between these two teams. Um, ended up with 117 points in this double overtime thriller. Um, I mean, this is this is college football at its finest. This is what everyone wants to see. This is what we wanted to see. We uh, 
we're talking about the Virginia and Wisconsin basketball game and how the their over-under should probably be what was set for the AAC game, and we were pretty damn close. I think they were at like 120, and this hit 117. So pretty crazy there. But, yeah, I mean, Riley Ferguson and that passing attack from Memphis is really good. They've also got a pair of running backs who ran for over 100 yards with Henderson and Taylor Jr., but I felt like every time I looked up, Central Florida was having a like a big play touchdown in the first half. It felt like every third or fourth play, they were going over the top, and Memphis had no safety to cover. And next thing you know, it's you know, 21-14, 28-14, 28-24. It just, the score just kept piling up. Yeah, the fact that Memphis was able to you know come back and work themselves back into the game was astonishing just based on how UCF was moving the ball, and Anthony Miller for Memphis just absolutely dominated. 14 catches, 195 yards, three touchdowns, and Ferguson was phenomenal all game long. The first real mistake he made was, unfortunately, the pick that cost Memphis the game in that second overtime. Um, but, I mean, Mackenzie Milton, notice Anderson on the ground. Obviously, no trouble moving the ball. Three interceptions was was really the only thing that could derail any sort of momentum that the offense was generating. Because you're right, it seemed like every time UCF had the ball, they were scoring. Except for basically a couple of times they just shot themselves in the foot. But there was really nothing that either defensive coordinator could really do to, to slow down either offense. It's just that style of play, you know. It's the college football style of play. Spread them out, quick passes, and then, you know, set them up for the deep ball. That's how it works. And uh, the other thing of note with this game, news broke during the game that Scott Frost taking the job at Nebraska. So kind of awkwardly that came up in the on-field post-game interview with Todd McShay. All um, online. I mean, for Nebraska, obviously – thinking uh, best-case scenario in terms of new coach here. Right. I I mean, I love the hire. We talked about it last week extensively. And of all the names out there, like, yes, I think there are some better coaches than Scott Frost, but I think this is a really good fit just looking at the kind of energy he brings to a program. This was a team that was 0-12 two years ago. If you've never watched ESPN, or if you haven't watched ESPN in the last two weeks, you wouldn't know that, but they've been hammering that fact home. 0-12 to 12-0, pretty impressive, especially at a school like Central Florida where, you know, they're not always grabbing the flashiest recruits. Obviously, they've had plenty of NFL players come through, and they are the biggest school in the country. But it's still impressive to grab, you know, as many quality players as they have and put it all together on the field, especially considering that the competition in their conference is still pretty good. Yeah, and this continues the trend of – the American Athletic kind of being used as a a breeding ground for young coaches to kind of move on to bigger and better things. We saw it at the conclusion of last year, a lot of guys leaving to take bigger jobs. Um, I mean, starting up again here. Interesting to note, though, one of the names being rumored to go to UCF, <laughs> Kevin Sumlin. Our guy, Kevin Sumlin. That would be wild. I, I kind of want to see it because Florida – Smaller Florida schools, group of five Florida schools, have essentially just become like purgatory for former Power Five guys yeah. to just get their legs back under them and then 
once you know, once there are a couple coaching jobs that fill up or guys leave for different places, their names will just magically start floating around, like Charlie Strong's getting tossed in at Tennessee, which is crazy. I was going to say, potentially uh, I could see Sumlin and Strong go up against each other, but more than likely with all of the bigger jobs opening up, that Strong will be able to parlay this one season into a new job at a Power 5 school. Which is crazy because he's underachieved. Like South Florida yeah. underachieved this season, and he's still going to get a better job. Such is life. Um, yeah, it's Big 12, Oklahoma, TCU. Pretty much what we expected here. Blowout 21-17. Baker Mayfield only had to throw the ball 23 times, but he got four touchdowns out of it. Um, I mean, for the Big 12, this is – Great look because the conference championship didn't blow up in your face and knock you out of yeah. the playoffs. So from that perspective, I mean, they can't be displeased with the result. Yeah, it's kind of like a carbon copy of the first matchup. It was Oklahoma's to lose the whole way, and, and they played well. And obviously Baker Mayfield took over the game. It still bewilders me that in a game where – you know, quarterback plays key. People will still take Kenny Trill over Baker Mayfield. It just blows my mind, but people do that. So here we are. But, yeah, that I mean, this is uh, a big sigh of relief for the Big 12 because they could have totally shot themselves in the foot and ruined everything. But they got a playoff team like they've been hoping for and, and uh, probably the Heisman winner with Baker Mayfield. So good stuff there. Yeah, a lot of uh, rematches actually in these – Conference championships, first three games we talked about were rematches. Uh, next one is, as well, Georgia-Auburn. Um, this is the only one where the team that lost the first matchup came back and won the second matchup. Um, I mean, dominating 28-7. After last time, Auburn really just got whatever it wanted offensively. Georgia was aggressive, funding screens and limiting carry-on Johnson, who was hampered. Um, by his own injuries anyway, um, but just 44 yards on 13 carries for him. Georgia got the rushing attack back on track and, and earned themselves a playoff berth. So Kirby Smart, year two, going to the playoff. It's a pretty good job on his part. Yeah, it works out pretty well for uh, Georgia, getting rid of Mark Richt, who we'll talk about in just a minute here. But just good quarterback play from Jake Fromm. Controlling the ball, 16 of 22, 183 yards, two touchdowns. Didn't he? He understands his role, and that's not to do too much. It's just to keep the keep the guys moving. And like we've said time and time again, these two teams are carbon copies of each other. So it was whoever could really get the run game going better was going to win the game, and obviously Georgia did that. But both defenses are really good. Auburn's defense did their best to keep them in it, but there's only so much you can do when the offense doesn't perform. Yeah, um, for for Gus and for Auburn, disappointing end of the season after you know so all the all the moral support we sent them. Yep. Um, but you know though they're still going to be New Year's Six. That's an intriguing matchup: Central Florida and Auburn in the Peach Bowl. We'll Very talk excited for more that. about that as uh, that game comes closer. Um, ACC again, not a huge surprise. Clemson just. Molly whooped Miami 38-3, to 214 yards of offense, three turnovers for the Canes. Um, they just looked completely out of their league. 
Yeah, Clemson's defense is really good, which we said a lot at the beginning of the season. That, I mean, people forget about that September run they had where they're knocking off all these top teams. It's, I mean, we, from the get-go, we said that Auburn or Alabama and Clemson were the two best teams in the country, and I still believe that, and it's going to be awesome <laughs> to get round three of these two teams. But, yeah, I mean, this is, Kelly Bryant has continued to mature throughout the season. He passed well better, he threw the ball well better than he ran it. Obviously, the ground game didn't really get going that well for Clemson, despite four rushing touchdowns. Um, Miami's got a good defense, but, man, just imagine if Brad Kaya had stayed one more year. Then they would have lost maybe 38-13. to 13. Uh, <laughs> But interesting thing to note about Clemson, they, for whatever reason, they just – well, I mean, I, I kind of know the reason. They get a pass for the loss to Syracuse. Um, most people saying because Kelly Bryant was hurt, didn't play the second half. Important to point out, Syracuse did not win a single game after they beat Clemson. Um, so, not sure we should just be completely overlooking that like we are, but in any event, one loss, ACC championship. As we've said time and time again, that insane September stretch that they were able to get through. Um, no question that they deserve to be in the playoff. I just thought that was interesting about the Syracuse loss. Um, now I think Ten, people put it aside. Yeah, yeah. just because they're Clemson. Um, right. And Alabama kind of got that as well, which we will talk about as we go over um, the Final Four. But Ohio State really threw a wrench into things, caused some drama when they knocked off Wisconsin, and it basically came down to Ohio State and Alabama for that fourth spot, winning 27-21 in Indianapolis. We said going in, whoever wins the battle, the line of scrimmage when Wisconsin has the ball, will ultimately win the game. Jonathan Taylor, 15 carries, 41 yards. That's it right there. I mean, whenever Hornybrook has to throw the ball 40 times, Wisconsin's not going to win very often because – Maybe it's because he's lefty, but he just looks so goddamn awkward throwing the ball. It looks disgusting. Like, no good fluid motion, no fundamentals. It's brutal. But, yeah, like I was saying, 40 throws for a Wisconsin team without Russell Wilson is far too many. Even with Russell Wilson, that's far too many. So when you force them to put the ball in the air, that's where you beat them. Uh, Ohio State tried their best to lose this one, I think. JT Barrett, again, did not play very well. 12-26, 211 yards, two interceptions and two touchdowns. I think he had one on the ground as well. But uh, that defense is really good for both teams, actually. Yeah, and Wisconsin's defense really kept them in the game. Um, yeah. You know, forcing turnovers, getting a, a pick six early in that game to, to cut it back to a one-score game. J.K. Dobbins for Ohio State. Phenomenal, once again, over really 10 good. yards of carry, finishing with 174 yards on the ground. And as you said, J.T. Barrett, not super effective, just kind of so-so, so they really needed that um, from Dobbins, and they got it. Um, just incredible to think about what he can do going forward, because, again, he's just a freshman. Just yeah. getting started. Um, it's just scary for the rest of the Big Ten. Yeah, that's true. Just when, you think, backs. just when you think that Wisconsin might kind of uh, not be Wisconsin and not have a dominating running back, they just bring in a freshman stud. And here we go again. 
For, uh, former Rutgers commit. Where have you heard yeah. that one before? People forget. Saquon <laughs> Barkley. Almost went to Rutgers. Um, God, so, hilarious. With those results now, um, the top four final college football playoff rankings came out today. Most of the bowl matchups have now been announced as well. Clemson, Oklahoma, one and two. Georgia at three. They won the SEC, replacing Auburn in those rankings. Wisconsin losing. So they're out. Committee saw fit to put Alabama in there um, over Ohio State. Those are basically the two teams. Um, you presume we're going back and forth for that final spot. In your estimation, did the committee get it right? No, because Central Florida's not in. But if we're going to talk how they're going to talk, then yes. Uh, I just don't see any way Ohio State had an argument unless – People want to say, like you, that Wisconsin was the best team in the country because they were the undefeated team who had ran through the schedule. And, uh, I mean, you can't fault a team for who they play because it's not like they choose to be in the Big Ten West. So you play whoever you have on your schedule, you win all those games, you should be credited for it, which is our argument for Central Florida. But I think you take the take a look at the resumes, Alabama lost, obviously, to Auburn, who is a top-ten team. You throw... Ohio State's resume out there. They've got the loss to uh, Iowa, which puts them over the edge. I think that's that's the game right there. I mean, I've said it week in, week out. You lose to Iowa by 31, nonetheless. You don't belong in the playoff. Yeah, the Oklahoma loss isn't a good one. You lose by about 15 at home. Yeah. Um, But, I mean, you can't give up 55, lose by 31 to Iowa, who – Honestly, um, they basically kind of Syracuse after after that game. Um, really didn't do anything the rest of the year. Um, so I'm not really sure how Ohio State came to be in that position where they were uh, possibly going to sneak their way back into the playoff. They do have the, the big wins over um, Penn State and Michigan State. And now Wisconsin. Um, so that's, that's two top 10 wins and a, you know, top 15 win right there. So they definitely have the wins, but you can't lose like that to Iowa. You, yeah, you just I mean, can't. Uh, it's as sorry, simple as that. If you, if you want to look at the, the best four teams or the top four teams, you got to look at, I mean, I guess in this case, it's strength of schedule and strength of resume, which has been like the buzzwords lately, but the strength of resume, I mean, Alabama's only loss is to a top-10 team. Ohio State has two. One is a top-10 team. One is maybe a top-50 team. So that's it right there. I don't I don't see any other piece you have to look at. It seemed pretty simple to me, clear-cut, that Alabama would be in if Ohio State won, unless Ohio State won something like 55 to nothing, which obviously they didn't. So that's, I mean, throw it out. That it doesn't matter there. Yeah, maybe if um, Ohio State – had only lost to Iowa, then yes. they, they probably they'd have an argument. They, yeah. they, they could have snuck in just because that would include a win over Oklahoma as well. Um, but as it stands, don't really think they were deserving at all to go to the playoff. But I would be remiss if I didn't mention that's a moot point arguing Alabama-Ohio State because Central Florida absolutely deserved a playoff berth 
Um, if you just did a blind resume test, you would obviously, you know, know the teams that we're talking about, but Alabama basically got in because they're Alabama. When you look at um, their resume, probably three best wins, say LSU, team that not too long before that lost Detroit, Mississippi State, and then uh, Fresno State, probably. Yeah. Um, and then you compare that to UCF, beat Memphis twice, two top 20 teams, only team to beat Memphis all season, and then South Florida, basically another top 25 win right there. And also, they didn't lose to anyone all season. So Yes, people forget that. So not only to not make the playoffs, but just not even be in the discussion at all and just not end up anywhere near there is just kind of like, what the fuck is the committee doing? And a big part of that is you have, you know, athletic directors on there from schools that are perennially playoff contenders. It is impossible to separate yourself from that. And I always say, you know, those ADs are excluded from discussions when their team is being discussed, but I, you can't convince me that there is no bias there. It's really just impossible. Friends. Yeah. I mean, these guys have worked together for who knows how many years, whether directly or indirectly. You know, people have friends. It's it's ridiculous because we. I mean, we've we've said it so many times, but the whole point of the playoff system is to give teams like last year's Western Michigan or this year's Central Florida a shot because. You know the BCS was seen as flawed because they wouldn't give or wouldn't rate these teams highly. Although the BCS, I believe, had Central Florida in the top four at the end of this season, so it's got to be disheartening to these Group of Five schools because it's like you you have no chance. You're gonna unless you go on the road and play some of these big teams who will never schedule you unless it's you know ten years down the road because the what-if game is always going to play in their favor, I mean, you don't have a chance if you're them. So I saw someone bring up the point that they should just start a group of five uh, playoff and have, like, Central Florida, Florida Atlantic, and a couple other schools playing in it, which isn't the worst idea, but it would never happen. And they shouldn't be forced to get to that point anyway. Exactly. Um, they shouldn't be ostracized like that. So they can kind of understand watching Michigan being left out last year. They didn't really have the wins. And also, I don't think there was really anybody, despite people's feelings on Washington, um, that like didn't deserve to be in the playoff. Um, I don't think Western Michigan would have beaten any of those teams in resume tests. But to have UCF out and as far out as they were, this is basically the best-case scenario for a group of five team in terms of actual quality of team going undefeated with those wins, those, those three big wins that they have, not to mention again, they feel like we gloss over this beating everyone on their schedule. Um, then nobody, nobody has a shot. Yeah. Cause the AAC is essentially the best chance you have to get a team in. And this is it. I mean, this is this was a good conference this year, and they were able to win, beat Memphis twice, 
They did what Auburn couldn't do, beat Georgia twice. They beat a team in their conference twice, which is not the easiest thing. So it's a tough look all around because at what point do you say, or how, how if you're on the committee, do you explain to a school or all these smaller schools and say, like, this is what you need to do to get in? You know, what what is it? I don't know. I mean, and when you have Alabama late in the season just playing Mercer. Um, yeah. I mean, we can we can talk about the SEC all day, but the fact of the matter is Alabama doesn't have a better resume than UCF does. Um, so it's unfortunate, but that is that is the reality we're living in currently. Uh, the rest of the year six after uh, Clemson, Bama is going to be the Sugar Bowl, Oklahoma, Georgia, and the Rose Bowl. Um, those are the semis, and then the rest of the New Year's Six, Cotton, we've got USC versus Ohio State, Fiesta is Washington, Penn State, Orange is Miami against Wisconsin, so three Big Ten teams in the New Year's Six, none in the playoff, Peach, UCF, Auburn. We'll uh, talk about those games more in detail as they get closer, but just at a glance, which one those non-playoff games thinks the the one you want to see most. It's got to be UCF Auburn. I mean, Auburn, for whatever reason, Auburn's been my guys for the past, like, two and a half or three years. Uh, Gus is in a real interesting spot because there's a lot of rumors about him in Arkansas uh, maybe make, meeting a match there. So uh, if that's his last game, that would be wild. But it's also UCF's turn to show that they belong. So of all those games, I mean, I think – uh, USC Ohio State will be a good game as well, but I, I really want to see Central Florida's explosive offense against that really good Auburn defense. Yeah, and again, should UCF lose this game, which I mean, Vegas is going to deem that more than likely, that in no way proves that they didn't deserve to be in the the college football playoff. And I know that. It's- they do end up losing, and it's just complete trash. It's way different getting up for a New Year's Six Bowl than it is getting up for a playoff game. Like you can't compare the two. It's it's a tough look. Yeah. Um, all right. So stop talking about football. Cause I'll just get even angrier. Um, so college basketball happened. Uh, cheery subject, the ACC Big Ten challenge, uh, real, real good slave for the Big Ten. It was decided on the second day, um, so not ideal, but nope. the ACC is very good this year, and as we've been yeah. saying from the beginning, the Big Ten absolutely is not. It's just depth. I mean, that's what it is. Everyone was looking at who's going to be the, you know, big big teams to compete with Michigan State, and at this point it looks like nobody. Purdue fans are so vocal on Twitter about how good they are, but they just struggle with Northwestern. They they lost uh, to – they, they've just been struggling in general, excuse me. Um, 
It's a tough look for the Big Ten because obviously these are, you know, the competitions that you want to do well in. They had some good matchups in the Big Ten uh, Big East Gavit games, which is nice because, you know, both conferences are showmen, so they like to put up a 4-4 tie every year. Yep. This one, the ACC just kind of ran out the clock and, and, and dominated. It's both the fact of Northwestern underachieving, Purdue struggling, Iowa not being where we thought they would be, and the fact that the middle of the pack to lower half teams in the ACC are just that good. I mean, Virginia Tech's a middle of the pack team, and they, they should be a bubble squad this year. Yeah, the the ACC is, is fairly similar because the, the top is, is very strong. Obviously, Duke, yeah. best team in the country. Um, Notre Dame had a great start to the year before Michigan State blew them out. North Carolina, Virginia is good again. Louisville, even though they lost to your Pirates, um, is going to be solid. A lot of good teams there, but then it just keeps going on and on. And that's that's kind of what you expect from the ACC at this point. Big Ten doesn't have that. You've got Michigan yeah. State and then a bunch of other teams. Minnesota losing at home, albeit to a top-ten team in Miami. Um, you got Northwestern, supposed to be good. They look anything but. Purdue, maddeningly inconsistent. I mean, I don't get mad. I don't really give a shit, but see right. that. <laughs> To a neutral observer, um, when you, you lose to, you know, Tennessee, Western Kentucky, and then kind of the other side of that coin, winning against Maryland, beating Arizona, kind of Jekyll and Hyde sort of situation. And then, I mean, who you have after that? Maryland? You can be okay, but there's no, yeah. there's no middle of the pack sort of depth after that. You really, there, there's not, other teams you can really look at at this point and be like, all right, they're exceeding expectations. They're a team that we didn't really expect much from, but they're, you know, kind of rising above their preseason projections. Can't think of any teams like that. No, because even Penn State was a team that was supposed to be under the radar, and they just haven't looked very good this year. Ohio State got the doors blown off of them by Clemson at home, and Clemson lost their best player from last season. So it's like, where do you go at this point? Rutgers is like decent at best and they're still getting talked about as like a competitive team right now so it's a little crazy in the Big Ten right and then Ohio State just turned around and absolutely blew out Wisconsin in Madison yep turns out once you don't have Bo Ryan's players and you're recruiting at a Mac level good things are not going to happen (laughs) yeah it's it's kind of what happened with John Gross at Illinois yeah, um, but yeah, not not good times for the Big Ten, but again, we did kind of know that coming into the season. Um, another good slate of games this week. Big Ten already in their conference schedule, as I alluded to, which is is going to make for some going to make for some ugly basketball because this is the time of year where teams are really still trying to figure out exactly who they are. Um, but that's. Kind of what happens when Delaney wants to have the Big Ten tournament in the Garden for some reason. So ridiculous. I love the move because the Big East just looks so alpha compared to the Big Ten. But, God, that is such a shit move. in just all around by the Big Ten. Who allows this to happen? What athletic director is like, sign me up? I don't, I don't think anyone has a non-revenue-based reason to say yes to this. Right. I mean, it's, it's all about the money. 
Um, so looking ahead, I guess, to the upcoming week, we're done with, you know, the, the challenges for now, all the tournaments of Feast Week, but still some good non-conference matchups awaiting. Um, again, hats up to Seton Hall knocking off Louisville earlier today. Big, uh, big win big there. Texas Letters. Tech and Louisville. Yeah, that's true. Texas Tech that just completely dismantled Northwestern uh, not too long ago as well. Uh, what are some games you're looking ahead to in the upcoming week? I'll give you three of them. I'll go two big ones and then one smaller one. We'll go West Virginia, Virginia. I was texting you during the Virginia-Wisconsin game, and I was buying in. Tony Bennett got me to buy in on this fucking team again, like he does every season. I already know Wisconsin sucks. They are not a good team outside of Ethan Happ. But I just love how active they are on defense, and it feels like, it feels like I'll say, not that they have it down, but it feels like Kyle Guy has finally figured out the offense for this team. Granted, that's what we've said about London Parantis in the past and Mariel Shayok, and that obviously did not work. But it'll be interesting to see how their defense in the half-court set matches up with the run-and-gun style from Press Virginia. Um, Bobby Huggins' team, after that getting just throttled by Texas A&M, has turned around pretty nicely. So it'll be interesting to see how the style, the clashing styles match up. Uh, I guess we'll just see what you think about that one before I go to the next game. Yeah, I think uh, Virginia-Wisconsin was interesting because much like UCF-Memphis, Exactly what we expected to happen happened. Right. It was it was just such an, an ugly game. Forty eight thirty eight final. Um just bananas. That that is an American athletic conference football score. Um it's a grade school basketball <laughs> score, is what it yeah. is. That's suburban parochial league basketball yeah. <laughs> right there. Getting up and down the court. Um yeah. but yeah, in in this one it's I like West Virginia since it is early in the season. I think if it happens in the tournament when, you know, the backcourt without London Prentice has a little more experience for Virginia, could have a different result. But for right now, I think the press is really going to wear Virginia down. It's gonna, yeah. I mean, they're still going to dictate pace for the most part, but um, I, I do like West Virginia in this one. Javon Carter, as you said, one of the better guards in all of this great country of ours. Yeah, and it's the transition game that's going to win it because it will open up at points, and when it does, obviously the game highly favors West Virginia, and that's where they're going to get a barrage of buckets. So that's where uh, that's where I'd look to see the difference in the game, but I still think it'll be a lower-scoring affair because Virginia's going to slow it down. The next one to look at is Texas A&M, top-10 team, taking on Arizona, who has – Floundered around lately after losing three straight in Atlantis. Came back, I believe they beat in overtime UNLV on the road. They just cannot figure it out on either end of the ball, and I'm really confused because they have so much talent. Obviously, Raleigh Alkins out, it really hurts. But, I mean, between DeAndre Ayton and Alonzo Trier, they should have enough to win games, which is confusing the hell out of me. But the big man matchup is the one to watch here. Robert Williams versus DeAndre Ayton is going to be awesome. Yeah, and Tyler Davis for A&M as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I would think 
pretty much just off the top of my head, A&M's got to have as impressive a start to the season as anyone, especially if they're able to win this game. Um, already beaten USC as well um, out on the West Coast and then, um, you know, starting the season, very impressive win over West Virginia that you alluded to a moment ago. Um, yeah, I'm very confused by Arizona start too. Really, just the amount of talent on that roster, even without Alkins, like, how are you getting dead last in an eight-team uh, tournament? Aiden has been phenomenal. I mean, there, you in no way can put the slow start on him. He has been as good as advertised, if not better. Um, so this, I mean, basically he has to try to play A&M's interior, you know, their entire front court to a draw. Um, and, you know, he still does have, Dusan Rustich back there, who's not a bad player in his own right. Um, so those those four guys coming together is really going to decide this game. And I, I have to I have to lean towards A and M just because what they've already been able to accomplish. I I still think the the talent favors Arizona, but they have not been able to put it together just yet. I say it every single time we talk about college teams, but confidence is a killer, and that's what A&M has right now. It seems like any guy on this roster can step up and drop 15 for them and, and just take over a game and, and make a difference. So you know what you're going to get from your big guys. It's all about getting the additional play. A guy like DJ Hogue has, has played really well. So if they can do that, I think they're going to win this game, and, and that's, that's who I'm going to go with as well. The other game I'm going to look at, there are a couple big ones I know you'll want to touch on Gonzaga, so I'll leave that one for you, but we'll talk Nevada TCU. Two undefeated teams right now. Nevada has pretty well handled just about everyone on the schedule thus far. Really pretty even team, if you think about it. They're balanced in their starting five, and then TCU is just the Jamie Dixon factor. He figures things out wherever he goes. I mean, he had those pit teams playing out of their mind for so long, and then in two years he's already turned around TCU to a fantastic level with guard play. So I really want to get a good look at this one because it'll it'll really show you what these two teams are made of early, but we obviously know they'll change going into March. But haven't seen enough from Nevada to really make a, a big, you know, overarching conclusion before I see them again come March time and TCU this will be the first of many looks we get for them yeah I mean Nevada is really just trying to become new Iowa State with all of the the transfers that they're trying to assimilate into the program a lot of high major guys um, coming to Nevada and that'll be very interesting for a team that has already been pretty solid for the most part over the years um, a lot of success back under Mark Fox before he left Georgia, and now they're they're trying to be at that level once again. It's it's very hard though at this point to to go against Jamie Dixon. Yeah, returning all of you know his key pieces from last season, engineering that remarkable turnaround, and I mean just on top of that, just look at the state of Pitt basketball right now too. Um, complete yes. dumpster fire. Yes. It doesn't help when you replace Dixon with Kevin from The Office, but yes, 
a lot of a lot of credit needs to be given to Dixon for how consistently good um, he had pit playing over the years. Um, again, this is like you said, later in the year might be a much different story, but just the continuity factor right now is huge, and Nevada has a lot of moving parts and trying to figure out the best lineup still. TCU doesn't have that same problem, so I think they're going to win that one. And both teams have big games beforehand. Nevada's at Texas Tech, who's a very good defensive team, very athletic too, so they're they're a lot of fun to watch. They'll be a tough out in March. And then uh, TCU's got somebody that I just looked at, SMU, who has been playing well early this season for Tim Jankovic. Yeah, SMU has some good wins. Um Already took down Arizona, and then more recently blew the doors off USC. Yeah. Uh, so that'll that'll definitely be a good test. Said it. Got to talk about Nova going up against the Zags. Um, really, really heartbreaking double overtime loss for Gonzaga against Florida, a team that really should have beaten Duke uh, a couple days later. The only blemish so far, they just blew out Creighton at home uh, for another solid win, I guess. Um, Villanova's looked very impressive, and they ended up winning in the Bahamas. They did not suffer the same letdown that Purdue and Arizona did. Great early season matchup. I'm excited because Killian Tilly has filled the void left in the front court spectacularly so far, um, and that's usually an area of concern for Villanova, but Amari Spellman is a godsend for, for that team and surround him with all the talent they have on the perimeter, Jalen Brunson, at the forefront of that. It's going to be a very good game. Mikael Bridges is probably the player of the year right now for Villanova, or at least in the Big East, I'll say. He's been lights out. Just a huge step forward in the absence of Josh Hart and Chris Jenkins. Uh, obviously, Pascal's a good defender, not too polished offensively. That's where Spellman comes in, better rebounder, offensive player all around. But they've got, like you said, in the past they've only had you know one or two big men. If you go back to you know Ochekfu was the only one for that team. Chris Jenkins wasn't really a big man. He was kind of a pseudo big man last year, and now they've got uh, Spellman and Pascal, so that works well for him. But the key in this one is who is guarding Tilly for the – well, obviously guard play is going to be pretty even, I think. I think both teams got very good guards deep at the guard position and uh, both with athletic guards. So it's who guards Tilly for – Villanova and will they stay out of foul trouble? I really hope it's just Bridges and Tilly the whole game going back and forward because that would be incredible basketball for us to see. But Phil Booth is still out there. People forget about him. He got hurt last year. He's back. He's been contributing real well to this team, and he's uh, in the starting five. So he could be the X factor in this one. And Jonathan Williams kind of a forgotten guy for Gonzaga as well. Just yeah. with the um, outburst from Tilly. He's still filling it up, um, especially offensively. Um, Hashimura is a guy who is is really taking a leap, probably more so than Tilly because Tilly still played significant minutes last year. Um, so that Gonzaga front court looking a bit different, but trying to be just as effective even without you know Collins and Karnowski from a season ago. I got to go with the Zags in this one, um, just out of principle. 
But whichever team ends up getting the W, it's a huge resume boosting win for March. Yeah, I gotta go Nova. I just I think they're yeah. really damn good. It's it's just sticking to our guns essentially is all it is. Zach Norvell too. People forget about him. He's he's been playing really well this season. Really stretches the floor for Gonzaga. So I really hope this is another double overtime game just to see what these two teams are made of. But either way, it's it's just fun early season basketball with no real repercussions. Yeah, it is not November basketball anymore. So we can so we can we can start to uh, to form some more concrete opinions about some of these teams. See who's going to cool off after hot starts, or yeah, you know, on the other hand, figure it out after slow starts. Because no doubt there are a lot of those teams that will start to put it together um, after kind of stumbling out of the gates. We expect Arizona will be one of those teams. I'm sure there will be others. Um, USC is another possibility, but again, November is no more. We're into December for basketball, um, so should continue to be a lot of fun as non-conference wraps up, conference games start up for teams that aren't in the Big Ten, and uh, yeah, just keep working till March, 98 days till Selection Sunday. Holy cow, holy <laughs> Blew my mind right there. Yeah. I, I saw that on Twitter today, and I was like, "Oh shit, that that seems very soon." That's that's too soon, but yeah, don't forget Army Navy this weekend, big game. True, true. Uh, technically, the regular season is not over for college football. We got that not one just yet. And also, Army is not terrible. Can actually no. uh, win the Commander in Chief Trophy. I am told for the first time in 21 years, so that would be. A nice feather in the cap for what has been a very, very good season. Um, they are they are bull bound, as is Navy. Um, I mean, you said best rivalry in college football. Make a lot of people angry, yes. but probably Don't true. Uh, so yeah, that will that will be a lot of fun this weekend before we get into bowl season. Yeah, we'll have the picks for that up uh, this week at some point. So be on the lookout, but just had to mention it. Always got to respect the troops. Yeah. Um, other than that, any last words? Seed Nall's the top 20 team. Okay. We'll see you next week. Join the convoy on the freeway. Headed north to see them Buckeyes in Notre Dame. Victory for USC. Bulldogs barking at the Wolverine. Hook on horns and give me that rocky top Corso and Herb Street got the low down on the robberies. Look at your chest strap.